Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. chapter 5, and then I just want to kind of as we get started here this evening make a confession of sorts. Um, In the book of Exodus chapter um, 30, in the book of Exodus 30, the Lord um, speaks to Moses and he gives him some instructions concerning a lot of things leading up to this, but in chapter 30, he gives him instructions on making the anointing oil. And this will be oil that all the vessels in the temple will be anointed with and all the utensils, anything that will be used in the service of the Lord. And so he gives him the measurements of the, of the myrrh and of the sweet cinnamon and the sweet calamus and the causia. And then he, and then he tells him to take this which would just be dry ingredients and um, perhaps even powdered ingredients. And he says, and then mix this with oil, olive. And he said, you mix that after the art of the apothecary, which is after the art of what we would call a pharmacist today. So these are not just um, things that are thrown in a dish and... and, um, just kind of willy-nilly, but very specific measurements of each and every one of these. And, um, and then at this point, up until then, it was just calamus and sweet cinnamon, myrrh. Up till then, it was just a bunch of powder in a bowl. But when the oil was mixed with it, then it shall be holy anointing oil. Take that holy anointing oil and... and um, anoint the vessels that are in the temple because they're going to be used for my service. And I, I just felt so impressed of this passage of Scripture here to, this afternoon that um, I've done everything I know to do to be ready for the moment that I'm standing here right now. I've, I've got everything I know, and I'm, I'm not bragging or complaining. I'm just saying that um, I've spent the vast majority of this day with my head in the book and my mind on some things that the Lord has been dealing with me for several weeks now. And I just, I've brought all of the myrrh and the cinnamon, the calamus and the causia. I just need the anointing. And that's what I asked the Lord today. I've done all I know to do. I've, I've completely run out of time. I worked till the last moment. I've run out of time. And so there's so much we could probably add. But it will all just fall in the streets. If you don't anoint it and pour some oil upon this. And so I'm just going to ask you tonight to join with me and let the spirit of the Lord touch your heart as he has mine. And I hope that I can take something that's been in my heart and help with the help of the Lord make that make sense to all of us here this evening. 
And what an introduction, huh? <laughs> wow. I want to Galatians 5 and 16, and we're going to read down through the 21st verse. Paul said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and three words that change the complexion of this list and such like. So lest we think that this is just, you know, if we just avoid this and we have a little checklist, he said, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. When I read things like that, the scripture has my undivided attention. If you do this, you'll lose your inheritance. Well, I want to stay tuned because I want to figure out what I need to do, certainly what I need not to do. And so from uh, verse number 16, I just want to borrow four words from my title tonight. And I want to just talk about walking in the spirit or walk in the spirit. Now, he gives us the walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he gives us this long list that I just read of things that I believe no one would want to be associated with. I, I wouldn't want any of those things in my resume. I, I, I mentioned that, and I just really want to underline one more time before I move forward, that Paul said, and such like. So let's just not create a list. There's a real danger of creating a list. What we need to do in the list is find a principle. And there's a principle certainly there. Now, we certainly would not have a desire to fulfill anything that's on this list or anything listed here or such like. And so I want to I wanna figure out how I can avoid to do such things. And the scripture is so full. And I'm, I'm going to just confess that one of my great um, conundrums today was really trying not to bring too much to the pulpit because I understand that that after a while we can just kind of run out and you can, we can only retain so much because the scripture has a lot to say about walking in the spirit or at least the principle of that and it has a lot to talk about about avoiding the works of the flesh and so I, I want to set us on a journey if I can and find out how we can avoid work, the works of the flesh. I want to drop down to verse number 25. And the spirit, uh, the, the, the scripture here says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now, when we read verse 16 that says that we should walk in the spirit, and then we drop down to verse 25 where it says that we should live in the spirit, that kind of sounds a little celestial, doesn't it? <laughs> Like the Lord's expecting us to just be so heavenly minded, we're just kind of levitating all around 
and we can't, you know, really be touched with the day-to-day things of this world because we're just too busy seeing heavenly visions. Sounds a little celestial, doesn't it? Walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. I'm not convinced at all that this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about because we live in the real world. We live in a real world that waits us and encumbered with sometimes very cumbersome things. And it's amazing to me that sometimes when at least I can say this for myself, I don't know about any other ministers, I feel like I can speak for all of us, but I won't be so bold. But I I am amazed sometimes when I talk about the war between the flesh and the spirit and what a disconnect I can feel between the pulpit and the pew because I think there's a lot of people or at least some people that don't believe that. But there is a true war that is going on right now. If we could see with spiritual eyes, I'm not, I'm not trying to incite any discomfort in anybody, but I do think, or any paranoia, but I do believe that we need to open our eyes to the, to the truth, not the possibility, but to the truth that there is a war going on. It's in our text tonight. There are two things that Paul said. They are contrary to one another. They are so conflicting that there's nothing about one that coincides with the other and vice versa. And so Paul is addressing this war that is going on in our lives. And the war he's talking about is the war between the flesh and the spirit. Now, if you're not in battle, chances are you've already given up to the flesh. And so if, you're, if you don't feel a war going on in your heart, I plead to you to wake up and open your eyes. If you, if you don't feel a raging battle in, in your spirit, am I making sense? I mean, if there is not something, if there's not aware, an awareness to what we're talking about here this evening, I pray there is before we leave this house, but I don't want to give in to the, to the arm of flesh and just feel, you know, some people feel like if I just leave the devil alone, he'll leave me alone. Nothing could be further from the truth. Some people say, well, I don't want to pray too much because I'll get the attention of hell. I don't want to fast too much because I, but let me tell you something. You've got the attention of hell right now. Right now, right now. And so we need to understand the battle, the war between the flesh and the spirit. It is, it is as old as time itself. You turn back into the book of Genesis and you go back to the Garden of Eden and there it is, the battle between the war, the battle between the spirit and the flesh. The spirit of the Lord speaks one thing and the, the enemy of our soul speaks another thing and there is that battle. As early as we can find man, we can find this battle going on. When we think about Isaac and, uh, and Ishmael, you know, one was a son of promise and one was the son of a bondwoman. And what happened? It wasn't very long until they couldn't live under the same roof because Ishmael was making fun of Isaac. And when his mother saw that, she went to Abraham and said, they got to go. In no uncertain terms, they have to go. Abraham may have had a lot of questions. Well, how are they going to live? How are they going to survive? How are they going to eat? How are, where are they going to sleep? What are they going to eat? The mother said, it doesn't matter to me. One thing that I know is that that has to leave our house 
And Abraham had to do whatever was necessary, whatever means were necessary. We can read that and our hearts can bleed and we can think about uh, this poor mother and this poor child. But if we can see the spiritual implications of this, there was a mother that said, I'm not willing to spend one more night with something that's mocking the promise. Not under this roof, not one more night. And so there has to be this connection uh, of our mind and our heart into the spirit. The spirit and the flesh are, are the spirit and our old nature. They're not able to get along under any circumstances. And so Paul uses the term flesh, but I want to be real clear. When Paul uses the term flesh, he's not just talking about the body because the human body is neutral. In the, in the greatest, truest sense, the human body itself, it's just a pawn. <laughs> because the same lips that can praise now can curse 30 minutes from now. And so the body is just a, the body is just a pawn on a chessboard of life. And so we have to have the Holy Spirit to control the body. And when the Spirit controls the body, then we walk in the Spirit. But if the flesh controls the body, then we walk in the lust or the desires of the flesh. The spirit and the flesh have completely different appetites and that's where the conflict really begins. These opposing appetites are, are, are illustrated in the Bible in different ways and we can find uh, many of them illustrated between clean and unclean animals. This past Sunday morning, I, I talked a little bit about Noah and so I'll just go back there for just a point. Um, when, when the rain ceased... <clears throat> The Bible says that Noah released two different types of birds. In Genesis 8, he released a raven or a buzzard. And that raven never returned, never returned. And the raven didn't return because it's a flesh-eating bird. And there was plenty of dead carcasses and things for it to feed on. And so it stayed away. In Genesis 8, Noah released the dove, which represents a clean bird. The first time Noah represented, released the, the dove or that which was clean, it came back. Seven days later, he released the dove again and it came back, but this time it had an olive branch in its beak, which represented that there was new life. There was something that was growing and that has become symbolic of peace to this very day. That is a symbol of peace, the dove and the olive branch. That's a symbol of peace. And so Noah waited yet another seven days and he released the dove again and she never returned. And Noah had confidence then because it was a clean animal that it had found safety and shelter and food and everything that it needed. And so he knew then that the waters had in fact receded enough that they could depart from the ark. And so our old nature is like the raven. It's always looking for something unclean to feed on. Always. Our new nature is like the dove. Amen. That new nature should be, if I can't find anything that's clean, I'm going back home. Amen. That nature that says, if I don't see anything, I'm going to return back to where I came from because all I see around me is uncleanness. And so it's no wonder that there is a struggle in our lives as a believer. When we make up our mind, I, again, I want to really emphasize if you stop listening to me now, you'll think I'm just trying to get everybody paranoid, but if you'll stay with me, we're going to make the journey, okay? But it's no wonder that when we begin our journey with God that we struggle. And you're not just going to struggle because you're young. 
And you're not just gonna struggle because you're trying to raise a few children. You're not just gonna struggle because you're at a certain empty nest station of your life. And you're not just gonna struggle because you're elderly. You're gonna struggle because you're, there are two natures that are at war. And so no matter where you are, no matter what station you find yourself in life, the battle that I'm talking about is real. And if we don't learn how to get a hand on it now, we will be fighting the same old battles the rest of our lives. And so I think it's very, very important for us to understand that we cannot, it has never been possible, and it will never be possible for a child of God to overcome the flesh through our own will. We're not ever going to be strong enough within ourselves to completely overcome the flesh. We need the Spirit of God. Amen. That's why we need the presence of God dwelling in us. Galatians 5 and 17 says, For the, the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, Paul discusses this. In the, in the book of Romans, and it seems really confusing when you try to read down through what Paul is stating, uh, all, all the way, especially the way it is worded, and, uh, and I, I primarily use the King James Version and always preach from that. I do have other resources that I study from, and so I'm going to read Romans 7, verses 15 and verses 19 from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and I'm only doing that just for clarification. And uh, so I want you to, it's not on the screen, so just you'll recognize this. Some of you Bible thumpers will recognize this. In Romans 7, 15, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. <laughs> for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Thank you, Brother Williams. I appreciate you and, and a few others nodding here, but some are just too frightened to even move their head right now. But we've all been there, haven't we? I, I don't know how many times through the years I've thought, you know what? Boy, I tell you what, in the morning I'm gonna go on a fast. I generally get up around somewhere between 5.30 and 6.00. Generally, that's that's the time that I generally wake up. And those days that I'm going to fast, I wake up about four with the weak trembles. Right? I'm not just saying airing my laundry. I've, I've, got, I've got a hold of yours too. Amen. I do the very thing that I hate. There have been times that I was going to fast and never even dawned on it till I was halfway through breakfast. I'm like, like, where was all that passion from yesterday and that that burden and that that wailing and that you know that mourning and and I'm going to tell you when I read down through what Paul is saying, I'm just going, Amen, Amen. There's that war that is going on for they are contrary one to the other. I'm going to drop the verse 19 and he says, for I do not for I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. And Paul is just staring in this three-way mirror and he's just trying to figure out what is going on with me. This is not 
Paul pointing his finger at someone else. This is not Paul reaching across the pulpit to condemn another, but this is Paul reflecting upon himself. And so we have all felt that way. And either your amens or your guilt has confirmed that <laughs> here in this house. We have all felt just that way. Now, now I, I want to be clear. Paul is not kind of painting us in a, in a little army green world, you know, where we just can't get out of this. He's not saying that victory is not attainable, not at all. But he's just simply saying that we can't win this victory with our own strength or by our own will. We are not going to be able to live or we are not going to be able to walk in the spirit just because we made up our mind on Sunday, I'm going to walk in the spirit. Or we had a good prayer meeting in our living room on Monday morning and we said, you know what? I'm going to walk in the spirit. No, no, no. We cannot do that again with our own flesh, with our own self. Amen. We're going to need the power and the, and the presence of the Lord. Amen. So we have to understand that we can't pit our will against the flesh. The answer is to surrender our will to the Holy Spirit. I must surrender myself. And so that's what is being referred to in verse 18. And so I want us to read that. If you will put that on the screen, Galatians 5 and 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Led of the Spirit. I pray in the Holy Ghost that the Lord will help us tonight understand how that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I don't want to get ahead of myself, and I'm desperately trying not to. But there are many references in Scripture to God's law being written upon our heart. It's the law of God within, that law within. That's what gives us the power to overcome the works of the flesh because you can't do it with willpower. You can't do it with grit. You can't do it because you're just that stubborn. Somewhere along the way, the flesh is going to win out. We must acquiesce to the Spirit of God and let the Spirit of God lead us. David I think David makes it very, very clear in Psalms 40 and 8. David writes, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is written on my heart. I, I delight to do your will, and so I've got to get your law written in my heart. I mean, being led of the Spirit and walking of the Spirit, they are opposite of yielding to the desires of the flesh. Anybody can yield to the desires of the flesh. Amen. Anybody can yield to it. In verses 19 through 24, Paul listed the works of the flesh. We read those a moment ago in our text. And so the flesh is able to manufacture sin. Amen. It, it, it can never produce righteousness. The flesh is just going to come up with one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. Sometimes when you read about the sheer evil that is in our world, does, do you ever just wonder who in the world thought, thinks to do some of these things? I mean, where in the world, how deep is that dungeon? How miry is that pit from which a thought of that much evil could be born in the mind of a man? I think, I, I think no other writer perhaps so best capsulizes the wavering position of our flesh than that of the weeping prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? And so you, you have probably, like me, heard a lot of people say that, you know, I, I, I'm just going to let my conscience be my guide. 
Can I tell you there's nothing more dangerous in the world than letting your conscience be your guide? Amen. Why? Because according to 1 Timothy 4 and 2, our conscience can be seared with a hot iron. Amen. So that we don't have a proper conscience. I understand what people are saying. I think for the most part, when they're saying, let your conscience be your guide, but I want to pull back on that. And I want you to understand for the most part of why there's a danger in that. Anything that can be changed, anything that can be manipulated, anything that could be seared. I don't want to just, because after a while I might just get comfortable. After a while, I might just make room in my life for the wrong thing and it doesn't bother me. You know, people that live in certain areas, um, they tell me, thankfully up to this point, I've never had to be subjected to this, but just say people that live in paper mill towns. You just smell that when you're not from there. You smell it for miles before you get there. And you smell it for days after you go through there. But, they, but people that are from there say that they don't smell that, that you get accustomed to that. And, you know, people, sometimes you ride down, you pass a big dairy farm, and you think, oh, my Lord. Am I the only one that thinks, oh, my Lord? <laughs> I may be in more trouble than I think you're tonight. Surely, you know, surely in my mind, I'm thinking you couldn't adapt to this. You couldn't adjust to this. But that, that could be possible. I don't know. To be honest with you, I'm just going to, I'd rather take people's word for that than try to find out, prove that theory on my own. So I can't afford to trust my flesh. I had a, a doctor one time that, that told me, he said that a, your body can adapt to pain. And he gave this simple illustration. He said, when you bump your knee on a coffee table, he said, you know, we, we just kind of walk that off. And he said, you take a few steps. You know, if it's not a major injury, if you take a few steps and after a while, he said, you, you know, you don't feel that. He said, it's not that the injury healed that self, itself that fast, or it's not that the pain went away. He said, but that quickly, your body adjusted to that minor pain. And so whatever was going on a moment ago is still going on. But your body adapted to that and adjusted to that. And so I can't afford to trust my flesh. There's, there may be something wrong that I'm ignoring, and you know, uh, it's, a, it's a real danger. The list in Galatians can basically be divided into three major categories, and I'm going to try to hurry here for just a moment, not spend too much time, but if you were to look at, back at the list that we read, they can, this list could basically be summarized in three particular categories. And we look at first sensual sins. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. He said adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Adultery, I think for the most part we understand, is an illicit relation between people that are married. Fornication is an illicit relationship among people that are unmarried. And then the Bible talks about uncleanness, which is just that. It's the filthiness of the heart. And the filthiness of the mind that has a person defiled. And you know, people that are unclean, and we're not talking about bodily, but we're just talking about people that are unclean tend to see things dirty in almost every facet of life. Now, I understand that nobody, you haven't been living here since Sunday. You've probably been out in the real world. 
and you're probably going to leave here in a little while. And so you're out in the real world, and so I, I'm going to venture to say that you have, you may know people like this, or you certainly have met people like this, that they twist the, the least little thing into just something so perverted. And everything that's said, they go, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho. You know, they've got just some weird, perverted, filthy, oh, I wish I could say more. It is so frustrating. And they just take the, the most pure thing and they twist it all around. And, I, and Titus addresses this head on, absolutely head on, and, and that's found in Titus 1 and 15. If this is not underlying your Bible, this would be a great time to do it. He says, unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are undefiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience, there it is, is defiled. That's why you should never just say, I'm going to let my conscience be my guide. Amen. <laughs> I'm let, you, let your conscience be your guide. I was joking with someone one time. And uh, it was a, a, a young person here in the church, and they said something about letting your conscience be your guide. What do you think about that? And I said, I said, well, I think that's a great idea. And I extended my hand. I said, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm your conscience. <laughs> if this is what we're going to do, amen, our conscience be our guide. But the Bible says that, that, uh, that even their mind and their conscience is defiled. In verse 9, Paul mentions the word lasciviousness, and that word speaks of a, a, a wanton appetite that knows no shame. Do you know that we're living in, a, the Bible even talks about this, and I should have brought this verse with me for sure, but the Bible talks about people in the Scripture that didn't blush. You can't embarrass them. That's why they can walk stark naked down the streets of Washington, D.C., I'll just climb on the pulpit and preach a little while. Amen. That's why people can live perverted, perverted lifestyles right out in the public broad daylight. You know why? Because they've got beyond the place of even being able to blush about sin. Sin no longer causes people to blush. Friend, there's a danger in just walking in the flesh. There is a danger in letting your flesh because after a while, the most raunchy thing can feel right at home. And that's why people are protesting their rights about things that are in this holy word that God says is an abomination. Not just a little bit wrong. Not that God just has a problem with it, but it is an abomination and people have lost their ability to be embarrassed. Amen. And they want to make you feel embarrassed and they want to make me feel embarrassed for dressing modest and, and for covering up that that's not for sale. They want to try to make, I would think, my goodness alive. Amen, I, 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 I would believe that we're in a much, much better position to be able to blush and to be able to be embarrassed about a few things than to just give ourselves over to flesh. Praise the Lord. Amen, and so wanting an appetite that knows no shame. And it's sad to me, it's alarming, I, I, I suppose, when you begin to read through what Paul is dealing with in Rome. And as a matter of fact, you just go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you find, you find it from there all the way until this day. And it's sad how little the world has changed. What Paul is addressing here are the same things that we face in our society today. And so 
the reason for that, it's pretty basic. It's pretty basic. It's because we're still dealing with the works of the flesh. It's still this spirit and flesh war. And so it should seem apparent that Paul was not preaching to the wind Amen. Of all the things that was going on in his day, he was addressing that firsthand. And we know that he was not just preaching this to the church of Galatia. If you read Romans 1, I mean, you won't have to read very far in Romans 1 before you realize, wow, there's some real trouble going on here. Amen. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go home and read Romans 1 tonight before you go to bed. Amen. We see Paul is addressing the sins of the flesh. And, and so he mentions several things. He talks about drunkenness and reveling. And, and that's equivalent to just wild parties where anything goes, this mentality. You know, many of you remember the era of time where it was stated more that if it feels good, do it. Still people live by that philosophy. It's really no longer a bumper sticker, but, but it is, there's a philosophy that if it feels good, do it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the penalty or the price. Again, very much like what we find in our day. A second category of these sins that are listed here in Galatians 5 are superstitious sins. In verse 20, he talks about idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. And so when we read the word idolatry, you know, there's a big pushback. Well, I'm not an idolater. Because we think, because we don't have a statue set up in our living room that we bow down to every morning, that, that there's no such thing for somebody in the 21st century to be an idolatry. But I want to tell you that idolatry is whatever you put before God. Whatever you put before God. Amen. Almost anything can become an, 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 an idol. So it's very, very easy to get into idolatry and not know it. Amen. If you put your career ahead of the Lord, that is an idol. And that is idolatry. Amen. And people say, well, I got to work and make a living for my family. Well, I get that. I, I completely get that. I don't think anybody would argue that point at all. Amen. But anything that takes the place of church, then we are not trusting the Lord. I need to reassess what I'm doing. Amen. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll add all of these other things unto us. And I'll tell you, when you put one thing before you and God or one thing before you and church, it won't be long until the devil will have two things between you and God and church and then three things. And after a while, there'll be an absolute disconnect. Amen. That's why you have got to stay. And I have got, we must stay on top of it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Then, then Paul uses the word witchcraft. And again, we most likely have the same response. We would never do and never think of doing some of those things, but we need to be very careful where we resort to getting direction for our life. Now, I'm pretty sure that nobody here would just go to a palm reader. But by the same token, you don't have to read the horoscope to find out what's going to happen in your day. Amen. David said, order my steps in your word, Lord. That's where we need to be getting our direction from. Amen. I don't need to turn to the newspaper or uh, online and find out what my horoscope is going to be. I need to, and, and how, what my day is going to be according to my horoscope. I need to kneel down in prayer and say, Lord, I don't know what's around the corner today. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next 30 seconds, but you know all about it. The next 30 minutes, 30 days, 30 years, you know all about it. I'm asking you to put my, my I'm going to put my trust and my confidence in you. Amen. I don't want to lean to those kind of things. I hear a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of people talk about karma. Before you say that again, look it up. 
there's a principle of the very same thing in the word of God. So rather than talking about people's karma catching up with them, we need to just talk about scripturally the law of the harvest. Amen? I just want to help you out there. Because sometimes we're just doing things, we don't know why we're doing it. You just heard somebody else say it. Amen? But we need to be very careful that I'm not associating. I, I know I've mentioned this many times through the years, but many of you, some of you at least would remember Sister Bonnie Marshall many years ago, a missionary. She was raised as a Hindu goddess. She was raised in a, Hindu, a home of Hindu worshipers. And, uh, and they are work full-time now out of the church in Alexandria. But from this very pulpit, Sister uh, Vonnie Marshall talked about uh, the tattoos that some of the young people are getting that are just signs and symbols. And she said they have no idea the allegiances that they are making with the spirit world. Amen. So we're talking about witchcraft tonight. So just because you're not, you, you don't have an Ouija board, in your, Ouija board in your home or you're not burning candles and having a seance doesn't mean that the spirit of witchcraft, I don't think it's an accident. I'm just gonna linger here for a little while. I don't think it's an accident that so much of our movies and so much of the thing that is called entertainment today is spirit connected. Very, very evil. Very, very evil. Amen. Now you're saying you've been watching all this stuff. I haven't watched any of it, but I don't live in a hole and I don't live in a vacuum. Amen. I'm going to tell you that, that even just the advertisements of things, my wife and I look at each other and we get appalled. We think, who would sit and, and just warm your hands over this? It's the spirit of witchcraft and we need to divorce that with all that's in our heart. We need to divorce that. Praise God. Amen. And the third category is social sins. Galatians 5 and 20, again, picking up after that, he talks about hatred, variance, emulation, strife, envyings, murder, drunken, a lot of things that are going on here uh, in the scripture. Hatred, that's kind of self-explanatory. Variance, that means strife. Emulations means jealousy. Wrath means just an outburst of anger. I mean, these things are, are things that the spirit needs to help us get in control. Amen? Strive carries the idea of being self-seeking and self-ambitious, which creates divisions in the body. That can create divisions in the church. Seditions and heresies, there, there, there are kindred terms, seditions and heresies. Amen, that causes divisions and factions that, that can be translated for these two. And so we've got to be very, very careful that we don't allow the spirit of flesh to get involved. Amen, these are the result of people promoting themselves and insisting that people follow them and not the Lord. And hear me, we can all fall prey to these things. Now you may never, and I may never wind up on the front page as some who have done such things have wound up, but we can certainly find ourselves on a much lower level doing the same thing, just trying to pull people to our own self and our own ideas and our own philosophies. Then he talks about envying, which, suge which suggests the desire to, for what another person has or murders and drunkenness. And again, that's self-explanatory. And Paul says, the person who practices these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. You have my attention. We understand that, that we are certainly living in a dispensation of grace. Can you hang in there with me for a little while? Amen. But just because we are not under the law is no reason for us to get comfortable with sin. Paul said to the church in Rome, he asked a very pointed question. 
He said, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He said, God forbid. God forbid. God forbid that we sin just because we are under the dispensation of grace. If, any, if anything, grace should be an encouragement for us to live in obedience to the word of God. By your grace, by your grace, I can be set free from the lust of the flesh. I don't have to do that. I don't have to walk in that turmoil. Anything, amen, grace, what a wonderful thing. Grace, I love grace songs. <laughs> My goodness, I love grace songs, fast or slow, amen, anywhere in between. I just love grace songs because I I love what grace has done in my life. Amen. And so I pray that God would help us to never, ever lose our appreciation for the grace of God. And I, I know it's been said countless times, but please hear it one more time. But you find you find the most ranked sinner. You find the worst situation. You find the most the most horrific family situation. And when you look at it, please don't look at it from up here looking down. What we need to do is look at that and say, but for the grace of God, there go I. That could be me. Paul says this, 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 and this, and this. And then he says, and such were some of you. We can be so pompous and arrogant and say, no, it wasn't me. You don't know where you would be. I don't know where I would be if grace had not intercepted my life as a 17-year-old young man. I don't know where I would be. I tell you, I look around at some of my friends and my peers. I look around at some of my own family members and I think, oh my God, I could have followed that same path. I'm not being judgmental tonight, but I am saying, God, I thank you for your grace, but for the grace of God but for the grace of God. <clears throat> Amen. Now we've spent a considerable amount of time here this evening talking about this war between the flesh and the spirit. And I'm not just here to point out a few things and then walk away. We're gonna bring all this to a conclusion and I hope we're gonna bring this and give an, all of us an answer. So that leaves us with a question. How, how then are we supposed to, to handle this old nature? when it has such a tendency to produce sin. I mean, I got a wild cat living in the house here. <laughs> I got a bear in the closet. What would you suggest that I do? Well, Paul has some answers. He said in verse 24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust." In Romans 6, Paul explains that the believer is identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. The death is represented in repentance. Burial is represented in baptism. And resurrection is represented in the Holy Spirit infilling. And so I think something that is key to keep victory over our flesh is to always remember our flesh's natural bent. Always remember which way your flesh would lean. The flesh will always lean out and not in. That's just the natural bent because we have a fallen nature. We have a bowed nature. And so we would fall out. And so I've got to accept what God says about my nature and not try to make something from it that it is not. Paul said that we must not make provision for the flesh. Amen? Don't even set your flesh up to be in that position. Don't make provision for the flesh. 
Paul said in Romans 7 and 18 that in the flesh dwells no good thing. We need to look in the mirror and just say it. You are a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Amen. Because your natural bent would be out. There's nothing worthly, nothing about you that's worth anything. Make no provision. In you dwells no good thing that is in our flesh. Amen. That's why it's important to understand the value of the Holy Spirit indwelling. It's the Spirit that enables us to overcome the flesh. Amen. In addition to that, it's the Spirit that enables us to produce the Spirit. Amen. Or the fruit of the Spirit. And so it's, it's, it's one thing to overcome the flesh and, and to do no evil things, but it's something altogether different to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm not trying to just tax you here this evening, but I, I'm headed to a point. It is something so important that we have to understand that I can't just abstain from something, but I, almost, I also must produce something. This contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, it's huge because fruit, you see, has to grow out of life. You can't mass produce fruit. Fruit has to grow from something that's alive. You can make a car battery. You can make a lot of things. This was made. It's a product of of, of machinery and, and everything here is a product of something, but fruit has to grow from something that's alive. Amen. And so in the case of a believer, what's alive is the spirit of God. Galatians 5 and 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. The, the spirit of God produces living fruit and something that we should never forget about fruit is this, that all fruit has in it the seed to have more fruit. <laughs> Amen. All you need is just one ear of corn. All you need is just one lemon, one orange, because in it, if you can just get one piece of fruit, in it are, is the seed for more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. And so love begets more love and joy produces more joy. Amen. So it's all going to be, it's all going to sustain itself if we can just create the right atmosphere. And so it's important that we distinguish that the gift of the Spirit, which is salvation, and the gifts of the Spirit, plural, uh, amen, which have to do with service, the things that we may do in the service of the kingdom of God, and the graces of the Spirit, which relate to the Christian character, how we are, amen, to be filled with the Spirit, and then to operate within His Spirit, and then to be able to be led and transformed by his spirit. Sometimes we place more emphasis on the gifts of the spirit and not enough emphasis on the grace of the spirit and this has led a lot of gifted people astray because they possess the gift of the spirit but they didn't have integrity. A lot of talent, a lot of ability, <laughs> but not a lot of integrity. So you can sing like a bird and, you know, we've got all kind of little phrases for uh, preachers, you know, just preach the paint off the wall. What a preaching machine. You can do all that, but if you don't pay your bills, there's something wrong. And that will implode. It will implode on us. And so 
we, we can have all kind of characteristics. I use preachers there, but we can use a lot of different things. There's a lot of gifts and talents within the church. But if we don't have the characteristic of godliness in us to hold us and keep us balanced and keep us centered, amen, we, we can possess a lot of gifts without integrity. And so we got to build Christian character. And that should take place over abilities. That should take place over talent. That should take place over gifts. Amen, we need to have Christian character to be who we are are, to be what we are, amen, to be sound, to be resolute in the spirit of the Lord. The characteristics that God wants in our life is seen in the nine uh, fruit of the spirit. Now, it's possible for the old nature to counterfeit some of the fruits of the spirit. Every now and then people, the, the meanest person can conjure up a little bit of love. But we're not, we're not just talking about a little bit of love for one little moment. We're talking about this in our lives. The flesh, but the, the flesh, the flesh can never ever do win us what the spirit is wanting to do. Amen. Let me let me just try to hurry to something here, and uh, musicians, you can just stay where you are. We'll we'll just close a different way tonight. But you see, the atmosphere has got to be right, and the and and the uh, the climate has got to be right in order for the spirit to be at work in our heart and in our lives. Paul warns that there must be a right atmosphere in order for the fruit to grow. Amen. Because fruit will not grow in just any climate. You know that. And that's why there are certain states in the U.S. where some fruit grow more predominantly than others because it's all climate related. And so we find this all across the United States of America, certainly around the world, but in the United States of America, we understand that certain crops grow in certain places more predominantly because of the climate that is there. And so just like fruit can't grow in every climate, by the same token, the fruit of the Spirit can't grow in every individual's life and it cannot grow in every church because the climate has got to be blessed with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God. I want to say something here and I hope you everybody understands it. I've had the privilege to preach in several different pulpits. And I can always tell when I'm standing in a pulpit if I am in a church with a solid foundation. And I'm not talking about the building. But if a church is just built on a bunch of fluff and stuff, you can tell. You see, back here, I'm going to stomp on this platform can you hear the, I know you can hear a little bit. Can you hear that? Can you hear that? Because <laughs> this back here is the old platform. And it was a concrete platform. We extended it out here. Did you follow me, spiritual? You can tell when you're standing on behind a pulpit where somebody's been preaching the infallible truths of God because it puts a foundation in it. Here's what it happens. It creates a climate 
where people can grow and become what God intended them for to, them to be. I'm going to tell you that God never intended the church to be just a bunch of spit and speed. He never intended the church just to be a bunch of fodder and feathers. Amen. But it is the word of God. I want us to have all the programs. We're going to continue to do all the things that we're doing. But I'm going to tell you when those things take the place of the appreciation for the preach word of God, our prayer time, we are a church that is headed for trouble. Amen. Why? Because the atmosphere has got to be right in order for the spirit of God to grow in us. Amen. So here it is. I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to wrap it up right here with this. Paul said, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So this leaves this dangling question. How do we walk in the spirit? Well, let me just tell you one thing tonight. That you cannot Pray out the lust of the flesh. What I mean by that, I can't just lay hands on Brother Rayleigh and just cast out the lust of the flesh. I, that's impossible. We can't sing one song that'll remove the lust of the flesh out of Wayne Williams for the rest of his life. The song has never been written. There's not one sermon that me or any other person could walk to a pulpit and preach that is going to rebuke, curse, and forever nip in the bud the lust of the flesh because that's part of the house we live in. So how do we walk in the spirit? It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. Every day, I need to be in prayer. Every day, I need to be in the word of God. Every day, I need to devote some portion of my time. You know why? Because what I'm doing, when I'm doing that, I'm not just trying to muddle my way through a bread program. I'm not just trying to pray because the preacher says we ought to pray. What I'm doing when I do that is I'm ensuring that the flesh is under control because if I, whatever you feed, I, I know this is an old saying, but it's still true. Whatever you feed, that's what's gonna grow. Amen. You feed the flesh and the flesh is what's gonna grow. You feed the spirit and the spirit, that's what's gonna grow. So how do we walk? Walk in the spirit. It is daily time in the word. It is daily time in prayer. It is yielding to the spirits working in our heart and in our lives. When the spirit prompts us, we need to be sensitive to that. You never know when God prompts you in a restaurant to witness to somebody or invite them to church. You know what you're doing? You're walking in the spirit. You know what you're doing when you're praying? Amen. You don't hear, you know, I prayed this morning. I didn't hear any angels. I didn't hear no, I mean, the clouds didn't, no, no thunder, no clap. But I'll tell you what I was doing when I was knelt down, laying down before the Lord is I was walking in the spirit. Now you may have mistaken me for doing something else. What I was doing when I had my Bible open was reading it. I was walking in the spirit. I'm not making this up. It was not a trick question, a trick sermon. Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Kind of like when you were young and you mistakenly said to your dad, I'm bored. <laughs> if you had parents that had one thing going for them, just one tiny thing going for them, I said, we can fix this. 
we can cure that. And the next news you know, you had a list. <laughs> so how do we not fulfill the lust of the flesh? We busy ourselves walking in the spirit. It's a daily thing. We are, I understand, so it feels a little bit anticlimactic, don't it? It would have been a whole lot neater if we'd say, no, now ushers are going to come out and they got a formula they're going to hand you. You just read this every day. You do this three times a day from now on and you got it. But you see, it all falls back on me. If the only thing that'll keep me from warming my hands over the fire of the lust of the flesh is walking in the spirit. And that's not levitating around It's just making daily investments in the right places. Amen. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the word. I thank you for patient people tonight, God. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.